Hello and welcome to the Locust and Honey podcast. We are two Reformed Southern Baptists who desire to speak the truth of the gospel to the heart of the culture. We are also proud members of the Bar Network, which stands for Biblical and Reformed Network. If you would like to support our growing podcast, you can do so several ways. One, you can leave us a comment and share our podcast on your social media. Two, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And three, you can follow the link in our show notes to find all of the other ways that you can support us and connect with us. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained by faith access into his grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through his Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. That is Romans 5, verses 1 through 5. Well, hello and welcome back to the Locust Honey Podcast. My name is Matt. And I'm Andrew. And today is episode 54 of the Locust Honey Podcast. We're going to be talking about the cross and the sepulcher. Mm. Be good. This is our third episode in Pilgrim's Progress. Lots of people that have been reading it with us. Uh, I hope that you have a copy and you're reading it. So we're going to jump into the cross and the sepulcher. But before we do that, Andrew, let's start affirming some things. All right. Well, I am going to affirm where I'm at in my Bible reading challenge. So, Ooh, which is um, where I am starting the book of the Revelation. Nice. <laughs> so, yeah, so I've been reading the through, beginning of the end. That's right. A Tale of Two Cities. Mm. I have been reading through the whole Bible and I'm I'm coming to the end of it and I'm going to affirm really just the whole uh, the process that I've been going through to do that. Yeah, the Bible. I'm from the Bible. It's been a good, it's been a good thing to read. But I think one of the things that I've really noticed is we live in we live in snippets. So as Christians, a lot of times we live in snippets of scripture. Like that's what we hold to. We hold to snippets of scripture. We hold to certain passages that that come from a specific part of the Bible. And then sometimes we take those completely out of context and we apply them to something that they weren't actually supposed to be applied to. Yeah. And so what's been really cool about reading scripture all the way through, which I would encourage all of us to, to try and do that at some point. Uh, what's been really cool is I've been noticing different snippets of scripture that I knew maybe by heart or that I just liked. I would read them and I'd notice them as I read by them, you know? Yeah. But it was one of the things where like, I would see them and read them in the story as yeah. opposed to out of the story. Right. And and that makes a big difference because context is key. Context is key. And and I held a lot of beliefs you know when I was in college and high school based off of these snippets of scripture that again were were taken out of the story right. and then applied to a different story. Yeah. You know, it to me to justify some theological thing that isn't true, you know? And so, right. so I mean, like I, I came to the reformed understanding probably two years ago, prior to starting doing this, as I've read through scripture, the cool thing is I've been able to kind of reaffirm the things that I held to. Right. So after reading the Bible all the way through, basically 
I don't hold to anything different than I did when I started reading the Bible, which is kind of cool to see, you know? Yeah. But that's the Lord leading me into that direction, right? of course. But, like, that's not me just, well, I didn't have to, mm-hmm. you know? But, like, yeah. you know, it, it, but it, it it's cool to see that the Lord, even before doing that, had led me to a point where I was holding to, to firm biblical doctrine, whereas the beliefs I held prior, they were things I was already questioning, even with the snippets of scripture that I knew. Yeah. But then when you read the whole Bible, it's like, man, yeah, no, that that's really right. false. <laughs> right, yeah. There's just no way that that's true. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. It, it's an awesome thing to do. If you want, want to maybe reaffirm where you stand on things, but also it, it'll make you question uh, maybe sometimes what you do hold to, and that's a good thing if we're going back to scripture to find the answer for that. Yeah. So I've got two things about that. One, I think I heard you say snippets more than I've heard the word snippet used in a sentence snippet. in like the last two years and yeah. that. So congratulations snippets. on that. Two, it reminds me of this random analogy that I just came up with. Hmm. Um, so when you're just doing the verse of the day or you're, you know, getting the Sunday morning, but you're not reading through the Bible from the beginning to the end to put it all in the meta narrative of scripture, mm. which is the overarching, the theme. Uber narrative. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's like watching the hot or the, it's like watching the previews of a movie. Mm. You know, you might know all the main points, but you don't know why those things happen the way they happen. Right. You might know what happened, but you don't know what went into that. So it's the same thing with scripture. Like you can get the Sunday school education and figure out who did what, who married who, who fought what war, who, who died on the cross and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But when you read it throughout, you can start to figure out the, right. not just what we believe, but why we believe it. Well, and, and the why matters. Yes. I mean, the why mat- matters a ton. Absolutely. Because the why, you know, you can get the events but believe stuff that's completely not true because you don't know why they happen. Yeah, exactly. You know, so it matters. Just teaching not what to believe, but how to believe it. Mm-hmm. Why we believe what we believe, which is super important. All right, so my affirmation. This one, a lot of times, well, sometimes, not a lot of times, sometimes when it comes to affirmations and denials, I'm like, oh, no, what am I going to pick? Mm. Sometimes, though, I'm just ready to go because I've been chewing on the affirmations and denials the whole week. That would be the case in today's affirmations and denials. So I'm going to affirm the ordinary means of grace. Mm. 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 And specifically plotting in God's timing. Our culture is very immediate. Like we want, we're like the microwave culture Mm -hmm. on steroids. We're like uber microwave culture. (laughs) Uber microwave. We we want things immediately. We want to see change immediately. We want to see Whatever it is, you know, if something's not going the way we want it to go, we want complete uprising until it's fixed. Right. Right. So we are also like a revolutionary culture where we'd rather storm the gates and have an immediate fix, no matter the destruction that it causes, Mm -hmm. you know. Uh, But as I read God's word and as he's just been showing me, a lot of times the Christian walk is just sitting and waiting on God to move and work in people's hearts. Mm -hmm. So. It's that active waiting, waiting like a waiter, not just like somebody just sitting there watching paint dry. So we're right. actively waiting on people while we're waiting on the Lord because he's very methodical and he <laughs> is long suffering. He's outside and of he time. He is outside of time. Time is of no. So <laughs> there's no immediate, yeah. like, you know what I mean? So I've, I've been learning that. I've been seeing that. And 
I mean, like what we talked about last week with like the Asbury revival, like Mm -hmm. why are people drawn to that? Why are there pastors leaving, driving five hours on a Saturday, sitting there for an hour or two, and then driving back to their church all night and then filling the pulpit? You know what I mean? I saw a woman who sold her car to get there. Yeah. Well, how are you going to get to church? Right. (laughs) Yeah. So like we like the fireworks. Right. We like things that are loud and bright and trendy. And then it fo- fades away. Mm-hmm. And then we just move on to the next distraction. And then we move on to the next. Right. So we like that kind of stuff, but we don't like what God's ordained to be a gift to his people, you know, like family and mm-hmm. the ordinary means of grace, preaching of God's word on the Lord's day and faithfully being a part of that, reading God's word, spending time in prayer, um, baptism, the Lord's supper, you know what I mean? Like we, mm-hmm. we, that is the way God transforms societies right. because under, when we sit under biblical exegetical preaching of God's word and it's transforming our mind and thoughts, and then we're reading God's word throughout the week. And then we are communing with one another and we have people that we're sharing our burdens with and that are laughing when we laugh and mourning when we mourn and all of that stuff. Um, the ordinary basic means of grace are what transforms societies, mm-hmm. you know? And it doesn't happen immediate. It's not this big, like, firework. It's just this slow-burning ember that continues to turn everything around it into embers until you have this whole huge pit of coals that's right. way hotter and burns way longer than any firework could burn, right. you know? So we want to see immediate fixes with our culture, you know? So let's just burn everything to the ground and let's start anew. That's, mm-hmm. that's the cultural cry, you know? The Marxist cry is... Um, patriarchal society, it's all, it needs to just burn everything down and then we'll, we'll rise from the ashes into something new. Mm -hmm. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. What the Bible teaches is generational blessing. We seek after the Lord and then train our kids to seek after the Lord standing on our shoulders. And then they do the same thing. And then their kids do the same thing. And then their kids do the same thing. So our culture that we're battling against, we might not see that change in our lifetime. You know, that's Mm -hmm. uh, Hebrews 11. That's what it says. Right. These people did not see what they were praying for come to fruition, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, but you are standing on their shoulders. Right. Therefore, because you're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, run this race with endurance, Mm -hmm. you know? And so that is the call to a Christian is, is trust God, trust ordinary means of grace, love plotting more, you know? And so like, when you think about it, if I'm going to plod this huge field, I've got my ox and he's very powerful for a sustained amount of time, but it's very slow and methodical, you know, and, and it's mundane and it can get boring and it's just, you know, what am I doing? But then I look back over time and see how much I've done and what the fruits of that are. The fruits are crops, you know, but if I take that same ox and I put him in a horse race, he's not going to win it. Right. And he's going to probably die of a heart attack. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that's not what he was made to do. We aren't either. We're made to be plotters, mm-hmm. just faithfully grinding out, following the Lord, keeping his word as a lamp into our feet on a daily basis and following him, worshiping him every Lord's day, hearing, preaching and teaching of the word, being in scripture, prayer, fellowshipping with like-minded believers, forsaking not the assembly of ourselves together. You know what I mean? Like that's mm-hmm. the call. But that's what changes generations. Right. And, and so 
That is my affirmation. Right. Is I affirm the ordinary means of grace and I encourage people to want to plod in God's timing and not want to see immediate things take place because if, if you're building a house and somebody says, hey, I can build you a brand new house from scratch in three days, you're not going to want to live in that house because mm-hmm. it's not going to stand. Yeah. You need to take the time it takes to build it properly so that it lasts. Mm-hmm. And that's what God does through his word. But he is He is giving us a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Right. So um, that's my affirmation. Well, and, and think about how different Paul's letters would be if that were the call. The call were to to chase these mountaintop experiences. Right. You know, I mean, like you were saying, Paul, when he writes to these different churches, he's encouraging them to live peaceably with one another, greet each other with a holy kiss, you know, take communion, break bread in your households. He's that these are the things that he's encouraging them to do. It's not otherwise it would be, hey, you need to build your stages. You need to right. you know, you need to make sure that you've got this, 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 and this to make sure that you can manufacture a revival. Yeah. That that's not what we're chasing, you right. know? Um yeah, and, and not only just with revivals, just like in life in general. Right. Like when we see something, we want immediate action. Right. But sometimes, and most of the times, the biblical way, it's just, no, God works slowly because he's changing hearts and minds. And believe it or not, we're sinners and stubborn people. And sometimes it takes a long time for us to continually hear the word until one day it just clicks. You and know? then... Too, a lot of the stuff that you see in scripture that is seeming like it's more immediate, it was immediate for the people who were there listening right. to that pe- specific group that we were talking, that they were yeah. talking to, you know? Right. Anyway, um, but yeah, that's good. I, I, mine kind of comes off of that. And I guess I'll start with my denial. Yeah. All right. I'll start with kind of a change in my heart over the past five to 10 years, maybe. Um, I used to be someone who wanted big things for my life. Like I, when I was, uh, when I was a teenager, you know, and I was, you know, really good at, at baseball and I thought that was going to be what I did. I wanted to, one of the reasons why I wanted to go and play in the big leagues was because I wanted to be not necessarily famous, but I wanted to be memorable. You know, I wanted people like in my family to to look at me with high regard. I wanted people because my family is a big everybody loves baseball, right? Um, I wanted people from my hometown to be proud of me. Um, so I guess you can say a little bit fame, but more so just legacy, I guess. Yeah. Um, I I started worship leading probably six seven years ago, and um, at that time I really had a desire to to maybe write a song and then record it and then be a big time worship leader. You know, like yeah. I was like, man, that, how cool would that be? And, and what I was using to justify that was, uh, I can, I can have a bigger platform so I can share the gospel with more people yeah. and be a Christian on a bigger platform, which again, I still hold to the fact that we do need that, you know, right? we need Christian football players and baseball players, you know, yeah. but, um, <clears throat> anyway, so it goes back to the heart. Right. But it does. It goes back to the heart, which kind of ties in with what you were saying with um, my desire now is to almost live in obscurity, not for the sake, still be, still be boasting in Christ, but I want myself to be smaller 
And that leads me into my denial. Um, my denial is uh, what used to be called seeker-sensitive worship. Okay. Uh, I was I was watching. Sometimes I'll go on YouTube and I'll look up the Ligonier panels discussions that they've had at their different conferences. Yeah. Um, and it's always interesting because they'll have these panel discussions from like 20 years ago. I think I was watching one from like 2000. Yeah. And you had like R.C. Sproul. It was like R.C. Sproul, John Piper, Doug Wilson, and uh, someone else up there. And and the topic of discussion became seeker-sensitive worship. Mm-hmm. And, and what the concern back then was, we are going to really be in trouble if we stop worshiping God the way he desires to be worshiped and we instead desire to worship God the way that the world desires to worship their gods. Right. And so when you put it that way, it's almost ridiculous. Why would we do that? You know, but then when you look at the things that go on in different churches and you look at you, and it's, it's not just mega churches, right? People think, okay, well, if, if, as long as I don't have a fog machine, I don't have stage lights, I don't have, you know, um, a rock band on stage, then I'm worshiping the Lord the way he desires to be worshiped. Right. But if that's what we believe, then we're doing the same thing. Yeah. Because ultimately (laughs) we're just going back to our preference (laughs) and we're doing the same thing, you know? Um, And so what I'm going to deny is we ought not, uh, well, what I'll say out of my denial is we ought not to be worshiping the Lord the way, especially not the way the world desires to worship their gods. And then also certainly not the way that we desire to worship the Lord out of our own sinful hearts, but the way that he desires to be worshiped. It's his worship. We are his creation, giving him glory and honor and praise. And he's the one who set the standard for that because he's the only one who has the right to set the standard for that. He's the one who forms that because he's the only one who has the authority to form that. And um, that is, and then we talk about this a lot, but worship how we worship the Lord is oftentimes the first step to reformation um, because that is us submitting to scripture. That's yeah. it. Judgment starts in the house of the Lord, you know, like that's us submitting to scripture and how we do things in the house of God. And then we're going to take that and we're going to do that in everything else, yeah. you know? Um, and so, but one of the biggest hindrances that I think is not just affecting young people, affecting all generations, because I think it's been going on for, well, it's been going on forever, but like it, this particular idea has been going on for at least the past 70, 80 years in a prevalent way in America is seeker sensitive worship. So I'm going to mm-hmm. deny it. Okay. So I like it. I deny it to you. Good. <laughs> I'm going to deny tyranny Ooh. in all of its forms. Yeah. And so because. Um, because we are biblicists, man, I do, I deny all forms of tyranny. Uh, example, you've got right now, one of the Republican, uh, speakers of the house is wanting to put a limiter or a ban on TikTok, um, because it's destroying kids. Mm-hmm. While I would agree with the premise, I disagree with the government having control. Right. Right? Like, that's tyranny. Right. Um, What did God create the government for? What is the purpose of the government? And whether it's coming from a Republican or a Democrat, Mm -hmm. 
if you're going to be socialist, I deny that. Right. You know, so it's not the government's job to limit businesses. It's the family's job to protect the kids. Right. The government cannot protect my kids as good as me as a parent can protect them. Mm -hmm. The government can't teach my kids as good as me a parent can teach them. The government can't, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like that's the role of a parent and we're giving that role to the government. That's tyranny, mm -hmm. you know? Um, it's stepping outside of its bounds. It's stepping outside of its authority to do something that God created the parents to do, you know? And so, uh, so I deny that even though the, the guy that's pushing it, uh, I like him. I like some of the stuff, you know, st stuff that he said before, but I deny tyranny mm -hmm. in all forms. Right. Um, another thing that's going on or, um, has been, um, uh, Tucker Carlson wrote a book a couple of years ago. But what he was saying was um, he thinks that the government should say that uh, the artificial, intelli artificial intelligence, you know how so you get, like you got the Tesla cars that self-drive? They're talking about doing that for 18-wheelers. And he's saying um, in his book, which is talking about capitalism, it's talking about economy and that kind of stuff um, and politics and how they play into that. But what he's saying is um, that – I would make it to where the government says that AI cannot do that. And primarily the reason that I would do that is not because it's not safe or that it couldn't be safe, even though it very well could be unsafe. Um, he would say I would use that as an excuse. But my ultimate reason would be because you're stealing jobs from people. Mm -hmm. And so therefore I would have government limit business and limit economy, yeah. you know? Again, that's tyranny. Right. You know, you're you're talking about what people do and can't what they can and can't do for work. Um, so it's it's easy for it'd be like banning the cell phone because it puts operators out of. Well, it would be you know like I mean? banning <laughs> you know. Ford, right? Because he put horses out of business, right? You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Um, it will it will put people out of business, but then mm. because we're people made in God's image, we adapt. We, we adapt. Yeah. Create. So. Um, so my point is, I, I don't, a lot of times we become so bipartisan that we can only uh, deny things that are coming from those that don't look like us or think like us. Mm -hmm. But as Christians, we, we should not be so tied to any political party that we're blind to follow what is said as opposed to following scripture. Mm -hmm. So as Christians, we should be following God's word and he has regulated what governments should look like, whether it's uh, the family, whether it's the church, or whether it's the um, magisterial government, you know. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I deny all forms of tyranny. Um, I yeah. feel like anything else I say, I'll just be repeating what I've already yeah. said. No, that's so that's it. my denial. Yeah. All right, the cross and the sepulcher. Mm. Are we ready to dive in? Yes. All right. Everybody, sit back. Relax. Grab a hot cup of tea. Or a nice cup of joe. Smell the steam. And think of us. Think of the Lord. Think of the Lord. And dive in to the Pilgrim's Progress. On As our grand soft as our evening. voices caress your eardrums that's weird <laughs>
<laughs> Too far. There's no crescent. <laughs> All right. Cr- uh, Pil- Pilgrim's Progress, The Cross, and The Sepulchre. Yeah. Last week, we left at the Wicket Gate. We have bypassed the interpreter's house because, go back three episodes, um, The Man in the Iron Cage is is about the interpreter's house. So go back to The Man in the Iron Cage episode, listen to that. That will catch you up to where we are at now. Now we're going to, uh, Christian has just left the interpreter's house, all of the rooms, all of the different things that he went through, those experiences, and he's continuing his journey and it starts to get very steep. And as the road gets steeper, uh, he sees a cross and he sees a sepulcher. He runs up to the cross and when he gets to the cross, his burden falls off of his back, rolls down the hill at the foot of the cross, and falls into the sepulcher, of which it is never seen of never again. Never heard of again. Heard never of, seen. Never seen nor heard of again. <laughs> Forevermore. <laughs> so, um, so I want to break those two things down. I want to look at the cross. I want to look at the sepulcher. Um, and there's just a couple things I want to pluck out today. A couple snippets, if you will, that I want to pull from. Mm. So at the cross, uh, when he goes to the cross, there's three things that happen. The first is his burden is untethered from his back, falls off, and the burden rolls away. So we'll break that down first. Uh, That is John Bunyan looking at justification. Uh, The passage that I read was talking about how we have been justified. What is justification? Justification is just in the general sense or just like the biblical sense? Yeah. Okay. So just generally in the biblical sense. Okay. Justification means that we have gone from being guilty to having whatever guilt we had upon us taken away. So it's been wiped away. It's been wiped clean. Yes. Um, and it's a legal term. I guess you, I was going to, I was trying not to use the word justified. Um, our guilt was taken away. Yes. Yeah. But it is a legal term. Right. Right. And, and so it's in salvation, it's a legal term, meaning that we are the, the, like when I'm teaching the youth, justification means it's just as if I've never sinned. Right. You know? Um, and so that is what justification is. So Christian has been going on this journey. Um, and we kind of talked about this in the last episode, but let's dig into it a little bit deeper now. So at the cross, his burden rolls away and he has been justified. Mm-hmm. So at what point, according to Bunyan's theology or his storytelling, th- the question is, was he saved back at the wicked gate? Once he enters the wicked gate, is he saved? Or does he enter the wicked gate, continue down, go through the interpreter's house, get to the cross, and now he's saved? See what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So a lot of people have kind of talked about that back and forth. Yeah. And really, I think uh, Bunyan... Bunyan wasn't just an author. He was a biblical scholar. Right. Um, he was a theologian. And he, he 
had written a lot of books, um, and, and several books on justification, um, things like that. And so, um, he was theologically sound. So my argument, which some people would argue differently, uh, just from the story, um, they, some people would say that when his burden rolls away at the foot of the cross is when he's saved. Um, but I think he's, I think he's saved when he enters the wicked gate. Um, the wicked gate is Christ. And we kind of talked about it last week, so I'm not going to really labor in it, but I think he's saved there. And then, um, he's, you, you see this justification at the cross. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the two go hand in hand though, right? Uh, him entering the wicked gate, him even getting to the wicked gate in the first place. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked about all the other people that had left the gate and all, or left the city and then they turned back or those that were just still in the city. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of people, there's few that get to the wicked gate, but those that get to the wicked gate also get to the foot of the cross. Right. Um, and so. And go through the wicked gate. Yeah. Those that go through the wicked gate. Right. Get to the foot of the cross. Um, but so. His burden is rolled away. Um, so I'm thinking, you know, thinking of the hymn at the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away. Mm-hmm. Like that's what's happening here. Yeah. Um, he's, he's carried this huge burden. He's carried all of this guilt. He's carried all of this sin. He's carried the weight of his decisions. He's been in the word. He's experienced the presence of the Lord but there's not been this justification that's happened yet mm-hmm. at the foot of the cross. Um, that burden is taken away, but I think it's really cool that it's the sepulcher. It rolls into the sepulcher, you know, mm-hmm. and we'll talk about that in a minute, but that's what swallows the burden and the sepulcher. That's the Lordship of Christ. Right. You know, um, he is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world, but he's also the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Right. Those two are not separable. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't separate Christ's lordship from, um, from, from the cross. You know, he humbled himself, but was also made greater. Right. Um, so his burdens rolled away. Then you see he's given new clothes. And the third thing you see is he receives a seal in a scroll, a scroll that's got a seal on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but so the the clothes, uh, with him giving new clothes, when we first became parents, uh, people were saying, hey, what can we get the boys? I was like, I want books. I want to read them books. And mm-hmm. R.C. Sproul, um, he has written a lot of children's books. And so I've got most of them. But one of the books that I've read the most to the boys is – the priest with dirty clothes. Um, and it's about this priest and he's going to preach before the King falls off of his horse. It's raining really bad. He's going to preach before the King raining falls off of his horse. His priestly clothes get muddy and dirty and he gets to the preach before the King. They're like, you can't preach before the King in dirty clothes. Mm -hmm. Like you're filthy. Um, you can't be before the King. He's like, Oh no, what do I do? And then the king comes and takes his dirty clothes and gives him the kingly clothes. And then he preaches. And uh, it's a cool story. But um, but that's the same thing. It's the same imagery. Im- imagery. Hmm. Man, it's been a day. I need more coffee. But this idea is something that came from the century before 
with Luther talking about the great exchange. Mm-hmm. Um, what we see in scripture in this justification that happens in Christ, we also see this great exchange, which is where Christ takes our sinfulness and he imputes his righteousness. Right. So you've got this double imputation that's happening. Um, Christ takes our sin. He takes our dirty clothes. He takes our clothes just like in the story. The priest can't stand before the king in his muddy, dirty clothes. Um, but so what Christ does is Christ takes our clothes and gives us his holy garments. Mm-hmm. And um, so he takes our sin. He takes our uh, shame. He takes all of that stuff. He That is imputed on Christ. He takes that to the cross. It's paid for now. And then he gives us his holiness. He gives us his purity. He gives us his righteousness. He imputes himself on us so that when I stand before the father, I don't stand before the father in my sinfulness, in my filth, in my rags, but I stand before the father covered in the blood of Christ in his holiness in his, you know what I mean? Right. Um, and so, so that's what we see there going on with Christian his guilt, his burden's been taken away. He's been justified, and now he's been given these holy clothes um, to continue his journey in. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's really cool, that great exchange. And then lastly, he receives a seal and a scroll. And uh, and this last thing, this seal and the scroll, and, and later he ends up misplacing it and can't find it and all of that. But this seal in the scroll, it's assurance of salvation, Mm -hmm. which is ultimately kind of to go back to my argument of Christian being saved at the wicked gate. Um, I think this whole experience at the cross is building um, this assurance of of salvation, this assurance of faith in Christian's life. Um, He's been justified. There's been this double imputation that's taken place, and he's received this scroll that is sealed, and um, and and that that is the assurance of faith that comes with a Christian, um, which kind of leads into the sepulcher. And so this is the the last thing, and we'll kind of just discuss it. I want to get your thoughts on all this, but the sepulcher swallows the burden. Uh, the sepulcher is a representation of the lordship of Christ. And, um, but the sepulcher, it can't be separated from the cross. So all of this is kind of speaking against easy believism. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was not just this easy call to come, you know, um, at, at the city of destruction. There's been this long journey and there's, there's this one way that you get there. Right. You know, um, and, and the wicked gate is open to all who come, but not everybody's coming, you know? Right. Um, and, and so, um, there's all of this, I think this, it, it's, it's speaking against easy believism. Right. And back then they struggle with that too. So, uh, this is written in the 1600s, but they had that, uh, where, you know, people would come and they would see, and they would have this experience, um, but then there would be some egregious sin that would take place in a person's life, and then they're never seen from again in church. Mm-hmm. And and so they they dealt with that then, just like we deal with it now. And that's what Bunyan's speaking against here. Uh, this is assurance of faith that comes to the believer. 
And, and so that assurance comes through justification. It comes through that double imputation of Christ. And it comes through our burdens being taken away. Uh, it comes also on the fact that he's on this journey, you know, like he can look where he's at and say, I'm not in the city of destruction anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, I've gone in through the wicked gate. Here I am now. Yes, things are hard. Yes, I'm messing up. Yes, I'm getting sidetracked and I'm going, you know what I mean? Right. But I'm still on this journey and Christ is helping me get to the end. Right. I'm not doing it in my own strength anymore. You know, mm-hmm. I was pulled into the wicked gate. I've been helped along by evangelists. I've been helped along by help. I've been helped along by all these different people. Um, when he goes through Vanity Fair, which we'll get to, he's not there by himself. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like the Lord is constantly getting him to the end, right. you know, the celestial city. And and so, um, but it, it all speaks, we really struggle with easy believism mm-hmm. in our culture today. Um, I don't, I don't know more so than Bunyan's cause I wasn't alive in the 1600s, but, uh, revivalism has made a big impact in our current culture. Our secular society has made a big impact in our current culture and all of that. And so, um, just kind of speaking into that easy believism, how do you think that the cross and the sepulcher, what does that say to easy believism? You hear it a lot of, you know, um, <clears throat> well, I accepted Jesus as my savior, but not my Lord. Yeah. Um, uh, you can't do that. You just, okay. why that, not? Because ultimately we are called to repentance when we're, when we repent, which is the first fruit of us being made alive in Christ, we repent. Right. And so ultimately when we repent, what we're saying is, I no longer submit to myself. I no longer submit to um, the world. Jesus is the one who gets to tell me what to do. Yeah. Jesus is the one who gets to tell me how to live. Why? Because he is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and he's Lord over me, right? Um, and, and that is necessary for salvation. Yeah. If you don't have that, then you, that, that is the first fruits of regenerate. That is the first fruits of being made alive in Christ. So what you're saying you is know? Jesus can't be just your savior. He can't be your if savior he's not if he's your not Lord. your Lord. Okay. And, and so some, some biblical support for that would be um, Paul telling us that you can't serve two masters. Right. Right. Like you're going to either love one and hate the other or vice versa. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you can't serve God can't follow God and mammon, mm-hmm. the love of the world, you know, the love of money. The well, love yeah, of and then success, Jesus, yeah, the Jesus of, speaks into that right. too. So, um, so Jesus has been, Matthew 28, King of kings, Lord of lords, right? Mm-hmm. All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples. That call is to go and make disciples based on his authority, who he is, mm-hmm. right? King of kings, Lord of lords. Um, when Jesus is washing the disciples' feet, we kind of talked about this at the marriage retreat, but when Jesus is washing the disciples' feet, you know, and he, he and they say, you know, uh, he said, I'm, I'm doing these things. But like, he, he still said, yes, I'm serving you, but I am your Lord. Like, I am the Lord over you, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, 
Jesus, you can't separate the salvation that comes in Christ and the Lordship of Christ. Right. The call to Christ is a call to surrender to his Lordship. And then we also get that double imputation that happens. Right. So, but I can't serve, I'm not serving Christ if I've not surrendered to him. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is what you said. Right. So how is that different then? Then like, what are some things in our culture that you would say are easy believism or some thoughts or some common ideas or mistakes that, that speak opposite of this? Well, I would say seeker sensitive worship, as I talked about yeah. before is one, um, and so just you know. to re- reify, seeker-sensitive worship would be we're taking things that are popular in culture and we're going to apply that to biblical worship through music, right? Right, um, To draw a crowd mm-hmm. and, and work up an emotion. Right. Okay. Um, I would say certainly revivalism, like we talked about So last that week. would be more drawing people to respond out of emotion right. or based on their fervor. Mm-hmm. not a proper understanding of who God is and who they are. Right. Which the ordinary means of grace, continual expositional preaching of the word, it draws us to see ourselves as God sees us, leads us to repentance because of our sin and to surrender to the Lordship of Christ. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, whereas an emotional response. So like this was like easy believism. This is big for me because like my testimony, you know, I this is what I struggle with. Mm-hmm. I would have the emotional response, but Jesus wasn't Lord. I was still right. worshiping myself. So I didn't want to go to hell, and I knew you know, I, I could play the game well, you know. Um, I was the politician, you mm-hmm. know. So at church, I'm a Christian, and around my friends, I'm me. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but that that really, after you try to play that game for a while, um, ultimately you know where your heart is mm-hmm. and, and you can't fool yourself. Right. And even if you can, you're not fooling Christ. Like he sees our heart. He knows who our master is. Right. Um, and everybody serves something. Right. Right. Um, it, nobody's neutral. We are all serving something. Uh, we're either serving ourselves, We're either serving Christ or we're serving something that he's created. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, but yeah, easy believism. There's, I've heard a lot of people that have said, I was saved when I was 12 and I've just been living apart from God. Jesus was my savior, but I haven't made him my Lord yet. So now I want to rededicate my life and make Jesus Lord. Right. You know, Um, but we don't see that in scripture. Mm -hmm. There's, there's not this, this set of people in scripture that Jesus has redeemed, but they're not submitted to his lordship. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Um, I, I, I've Churches need to have smaller front doors. Right. Where, and I'm, like, you can't hear what I'm not saying with mm-hmm. that. Um, so, yes, we want people to come to church. Yes, we would like to see more people in church, right? Right. But we want people transformed by the gospel and not just playing a game. We don't want just bigger crowds because it's more people. We want to be reaching people with the truth of the gospel. We want to be calling people to submit to the Lordship of Christ. Mm-hmm. We want to be fulfilling the Great Commission. Right. What is that? 
Go therefore and make disciples. Why? Because all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore go, make disciples, baptize them, and teach them to obey all that I've commanded. Mm-hmm. They're not a disciple of Christ if they're not being taught how to obey all that he's commanded. That call to obey is a call to lordship. You're obeying him because he is lord over you. Mm-hmm. And if he's not lord over you, then you're not in him. Right. You know what I mean? So um, so we need to be more careful with that. We yeah. need to be um, thinking about that. All right, what are your thoughts? No, I mean, of it? yeah, I, I think... This is one of the more powerful parts of the book. Um, you know, it's a very simple part, but I mean, simple as in it's not this, it's an event that happens. But ultimately it is where he, Christian, I mean, he, this is where he finally, you know, he's been to the worldly wise man. He's been to the city of morality. He's been to all of these different places excuse me, to try to get his burden taken off. And yeah. here, he doesn't do anything. He just right. walks up, sees the cross, and then the burden itself rolls off. Yeah. Right. So he's not working to do something to try and take it off. Um, one thing that's interesting as well, my last kind of thought on it is, you see the people who enter not by the wicked gate, they don't know that they have burdens either. Right. Right. So, um, Christian is the only one who seems to be struggling with this burden, at least Mm -hmm. in the beginning of the, now he runs into people later on that are truly, that also entered by the wicked gate. But in the beginning, it seems like Christian, everyone's like, why do you have this burden? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, That kind of goes into what we were saying before of when he was saved, you know what I mean? Um, And the Lord drawing him in and, and sustaining him in through all of these different things that he had to go through to get to the cross through the swamp and then through, you know, the, the mountain where he sees evangelist and then through, um, the flint, the darts from, um, Beelzebub. Beelzebub. And then, you know, uh, just after he enters the wicked gate, you know, certain people that he runs into that try and lead him astray kind of, um, and, and so it, it's, yeah, it's a very powerful, powerful part. Yeah. Um, so, and I think reading the book too, um, we can only do it so much justice in a right. short podcast. But as you're reading the book, up until this point, like like what you said, that burden is a huge part of the story. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, and here there's that that relief is lifted. Right. Like what you said, not because of something he did. Um. And, and, you know, legality was trying to take the burden off. And Worldly Wiseman was saying legality, he's um, very skilled at removing burdens. But ultimately, all he does is adds to the burden. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a weight that is unbearable for people. Yeah. We weren't made to be able to bear that weight. But Christ has done it all. Christ can fully carry the weight of the burdens. And uh, so, yeah good good part of the story yep well i think it's a good place to stop for the day yeah and uh we will pick up next week as we continue pilgrim's progress if you don't have the book pick it up start reading we're not too far in you can catch up pretty quickly and uh we hope that you enjoy this uh i hope that you have a good lord's day and we will see you next week 
All right. Bye-bye.